0: The list of things I want to teach you is endless, so let's get to it. My name is Sylvia Smart, and welcome to The Empowerment Project. Hey, hi, welcome back. Glad you're here. Last episode, we talked all about the voice and the various ways we can use it, hone it, rely on it. Today, I want to talk about the actual words we use and how we can create safety through their application as a self-defense tool. Of all the tools, the voice and our verbal self-defense can go the farthest to prevent unwanted attention and situations. As with all of empowerment self-defense, we're also gonna look at the multitude of ways words can impact the quality of our lives and the way we walk through the world, which keeps us safer. I'll give you examples, stories to illustrate the different strategies, and suggestions for practicing so you can get really good at this. I'm going to start with a story. A long time ago, I had a job that I really loved. At the time, the minimum wage was about $4 an hour. Yet, for some reason, I agreed to be paid a dollar an hour. Seriously, I did. I wanted the job that badly. Eventually, I got a little raise, and then eventually, I got another raise. But I worked a lot. I held down six other jobs, which included a business I started cleaning houses so that I could make ends meet. It was my choice. But it was not easy. I was working seven days a week so that I could afford to work for a dollar an hour. The job slowly became harder, not because of the scope of the work or the difficulty of the work, but because the quality of the work environment became more and more dysfunctional. And ultimately, it was really toxic for me. I still believed in the work I was doing, and I still wanted to be doing it in spite of everything. So I stayed. But after years of this, I came to realize that I needed to be paid a living wage, and at long last, after putting up with an awful lot, including, by the end, crying every day, I admitted to myself that I was going to have to ask for a raise. I didn't want to ask for a raise. I was afraid. The environment had gotten so toxic that I was scared I would lose my job— or that my boss would be mad at me and then treat me even worse than what was happening already. You're probably wondering why I would put up with this, and it's a very good question. And one day, I'll tell you all about it. But that is where I was. It was finally time to ask for the raise, so I set up a meeting. You've heard this term. I think I've said it before. Fake it till you make it. Well, that's what I did. It's what I teach. If you have something to say, if you need to speak up, to be seen, to be heard, to be respected and appreciated, and you're scared, do it anyway. This is empowerment. And sometimes we have to pretend or fake it until we believe it in our heart of hearts. So I did that. I went in to talk with my boss and her henchmen. I pretended I felt strong and secure, and I asked for a raise with a voice that didn't even shake. I was really proud of myself. The ending might or might not surprise you, but you know me. I'll tell you the end of the story later after we talk about verbal self-defense and verbal self-defense strategies. Here's the first one. No. When we're talking about words, there is one word, the most self defense word ever. This word is a full sentence unto itself, and that simply is no. This one word has the capacity to change your life. If you are a people pleaser, like we've talked about before, or if your tendency is to be timid or shy— or if you've ever allowed yourself to be treated like a doormat, pushed around, dismissed, or taken for granted, I guarantee you this word will set you free. Take a deep breath. Now say it with me, no. And again, no. We're going to say it again, no. You can say no with volume or without. You can say it in a high voice or a low voice. You can say it with a smile or a look of intensity. You can say it kindly or with force. This is one word, though. No matter how you say it, it forges freedom for you and the space to create self-determination and the empowerment of you having choices. I dare you to practice. I ask my students to practice, which is often met with titters and uncomfortable looks and jokes and giggling, but I mean it. Practice it. Practice saying no. Here's your homework. Well, you know, you don't really have homework, but if you want homework from me, I'll always give it to you. Say no three times a day for this entire week. Even if you don't mean it, no laughing, no apologies, just no. And I mean it, even if you don't mean it, even if you could say yes and it would be no skin off your back, say no three times a day. When you say no, you're going to stop, you're going to take a deep breath, you're going to be quiet, and you're going to see what happens. Does the world stop turning on its axis? Does everyone in your life suddenly get angry at you? Does anyone even notice or care? Will you? Can you survive? Most of the time when students tell me about their experience, what I hear is that no one died. No one cried. No one fell apart. No one got really angry. No one started yelling. Mostly the no was met with a shrug and acceptance leaving my students to wonder, what took me so long? So try it. And then go to the Facebook group, The Empowerment Project, and tell us how it goes, because we want to hear about it. It's a really fun thing to practice. Just like I want you to say no more often, I want you to think about how often and in what context you say please and thank you. Please is a polite word. It's a word to use when you're making a request of someone or asking a question. Which way is the grocery store, please? Or may I please have some more salad? Thank you is also polite. It shows your acknowledgement or gratitude. Thanks for the compliment. Or no, thank you. I've had enough salad. It was delicious. I grew up saying please and thank you. And there is nothing wrong with either. Some of us say these words a lot, though, and without much thought, unconsciously. We use them inappropriately or as a way of being submissive or pleasing, as a way of being deferential or not taking up too much space or as a way to take care of other people and their feelings, almost as an apology. How do you use the word please? How often do you find yourself thanking people? What is the context when you say please and thank you? How do you feel when you say these words? Sometimes it might feel very clearly like you're being polite. Sometimes, though, if you're really and truly honest with yourself, you might notice that you have some other motivation. That is what I want you to be aware of. It is those times that matter in the life of an empowered person. Once again... Just to be clear, there is nothing wrong with saying please and thank you. What does matter is your motivation, your real and authentic reason for using these words within the context of the situation. Someone touches my butt and I say, don't do that, please. I'm at a restaurant eating a meal by myself, and the person at the next table keeps trying to engage me in conversation, which I don't want, asking me too many personal questions, which I just don't want to answer. After multiple evasion techniques, I say, I just want to eat quietly. Thanks. It's not that it's wrong to say please and thank you in either of these situations. These words, though, in this context, can take away from your power, your clarity, and your intention if they aren't warranted. They almost disqualify what you're saying. Think about how much stronger your words would be if you don't worry about being polite, if you don't worry about taking care of someone else's feelings or being pleasing or being demure. Someone touches my butt and I say, don't do that. To the person at the next table who's not taking the hint and leaving me alone, I say, I'm not interested in having a conversation right now. We say the words and we stop. Take a deep breath. We're looking and making sure you are less selectable, right? Bypassing the testing process and not being the one who's picked. Getting rid of these niceties can go a really long way towards strengthening your message and giving your words the backbone they deserve, that you deserve, and keeping you safer in the process. This is empowerment self-defense. There are a couple of other words I want to name. If please and thank you take first and second place, these two phrases get honorable mention. Excuse me or I'm sorry. Here are some examples. Someone touches my butt and my default is to say, excuse me, as if it's my fault. Or the example in the restaurant with the person not getting the hint and I say, oh, sorry, I I just don't feel like talking right now. Sorry. Yeah, sometimes we even say it twice. I hope you can hear that your message is much stronger when you don't disqualify it with the polite, people-pleasing, and caretaking words and phrases. Again, it's not that I'm recommending that you never use them. I use them all the time. What I'm suggesting is that you employ them more consciously. That's empowerment. Don't get me wrong, when you begin this process, it will feel uncomfortable. That doesn't mean it's wrong or bad. What it means is that you're trying something new. You're being aware and making choices. You're noticing habits and deciding how you want to handle each situation as it comes to you. And if you're anything like me, it might take some time. But uncomfortable stretches you. It stretches you into empowerment. And that is very awesome and very worth the trouble. I like to warn my students, when you use verbal self-defense, expect blowback. We've talked about this before, too, on this podcast. Chances are good that when you change your behavior or set a new boundary, you're going to get a reaction. Some, not all, of the people in your life might not like it. For example, if you always wash the dishes, put them away, and clean the kitchen, your roommates might be kind of pissy when you speak up and ask them to do their part. You're going to know who the healthy, emotionally balanced people are in your life because they are the ones that will understand your new boundaries or at least will be able to talk with you about them. Let's keep going and talk about verbal self-defense strategies. There are a lot. There's a super direct way. This is a great strategy. This one changed my life. It takes a bit of practice to start to feel comfortable with it, but it's really worth it. It's got a lot of flexibility. You can do it a bunch of different ways, and you can always, as with all the verbal strategies, use your words, put it in your language in ways that feel comfortable and right to you. And this works great at the lower end of the continuum of sexual assault and violence. It goes a really long way towards prevention and towards making you safer and less selectable. This strategy asks you to do three things. One, name the behavior, whatever it is that's happening. Two, criticize the behavior. And this is important. Criticize the behavior, not the person. When you make a judgment about the person, that tends to just... Oh, it pisses them off or it closes them off or it can make it less safe for you. So criticize the behavior, not the person. And number three, tell them what you want them to do. Give them a command. Here are some examples. Your hand is on my knee. I don't like it. Take it off. You're asking me too many personal questions. That makes me uncomfortable. Stop it. You came into my room without knocking. That sucks. Knock next time. This is a strategy that works when you practice it and think it through. It's great if there's a situation you face every day or every week and you know it's coming up. Like say you ride the subway to work every day and there's always the same person who gets on at the stop before you and they always take up three seats with their splayed legs and all their bags and briefcases. As the subway gets more crowded, they don't move their stuff, so... You think about what you want to say because you know you're going to face it again. And then you practice it. You rehearse it in your head. You rehearse it with a friend. And you figure out what sounds right to you, what sounds authentic in your own voice. I might say something like this. You're taking up three seats. The subway is really crowded. Be a pal and move your stuff. Now, a word here about please and thank you. This might be a time where, especially since you don't know this person, you can give them the benefit of the doubt and use the word please or thank you, and that is okay. That's your choice. What feels right to you? What words feel authentic? Do that. The idea here with this particular strategy is for you to pick something that's really easy or on the easier end for you. Practice it with a friend, get some feedback, get some success under your belt from doing this in a situation that isn't really charged so that you can do it again when maybe the stakes are higher, when the situation is more challenging. This time, let's take your boss. Your boss makes sexual comments to you. That's just gross, right? But one of the things I really like about this strategy is that it's great on the lower end of the spectrum, like I said, and with people you know and have to deal with again and again. You're calling out the behavior, you're setting up your boundary, but you can play with tone and volume and other stuff we talked about to keep it professional and courteous or whatever. To my boss, I say, that sexual comment makes me uncomfortable. Stop. And there's something important I want to add, the redirect This is where, if you're going to have to deal with this person in the future, you can make your life much easier by using a redirect if you want to. Let me show you what I mean. Same situation, but this time with a redirect. To my boss, I say, That sexual comment makes me uncomfortable. Stop. Now, what were you saying about the project? I thought you said so-and-so was taking care of it. So, I've... Said what I needed to say, but I've redirected the topic. It takes the heat off me, but I've been able to say what I need to say. And again, using this redirect, it's a choice. You might have already chosen to talk to HR. You might choose to deal with this any other way. That's your choice. This is just one example. Like I said, this strategy works great on the lower end of the continuum. It helped me when I started using it because I had to do a couple things. One, I had to call out the behavior, which meant I had to notice it and identify it in my own head. And two, I had to figure out how that made me feel or what it was about that that was out of bounds. And then number three... I had to be really clear and give a command and tell the person what I wanted them to do or stop doing. This was not easy to do without saying please, but I recommend it whenever you can. And as a nod to a very dear friend who is also a self-defense teacher, I'm going to give you the out of not saying the middle part. For example, your hand is on my knee. Take it off. Is plenty. You really don't have to say the qualifier or how it makes you feel or what about that makes you uncomfortable. You don't have to do that, right? Your hand is on my knee. Take it off. That's enough. Another verbal self-defense strategy is no. We already talked about this. As a reminder, you're going to say no three times a day for a week, even if it would be just as easy to say yes. The reason why I want you to do this, to say no, even when it would be just as easy to say yes, is for a very specific reason. I want you to practice saying no when it feels uncomfortable. You practice saying one of the most important words in our toolkit while feeling awkward and uncomfortable, and therefore, when you need it, when you need to call on all the power of no You'll have already pushed through the challenge of saying it when it feels awkward and weird and uncomfortable and you'll know that you can do it and you'll have that strength of that knowledge. Another strategy and a great story is the broken record. This is where you pick a word or a phrase and you repeat it. You just say it over and over and over again. This is a great strategy when you're dealing with a person who's high or angry or maybe experiencing a psychotic episode because often sometimes they don't hear the word or phrase the first time or even the second or even the third or the fourth or the fifth. But at some point it will probably connect. A side note, I really like this strategy because once you land on a word or a phrase that feels right, you don't have to be creative. You don't have to keep like thinking of new ideas. You just say the same thing over and over and over again. My friend, Jessica, was coming home from a walk and she heard yelling and screaming. And as she approached her house, she saw her next door neighbor running out onto the street covered in blood, having been hit by her spouse. Another neighbor from a different house was leaning out the window shouting that help was on the way. But meanwhile, the bloody neighbor was sobbing because her husband was holding her baby and wouldn't let her have it. And she was really scared about what he might do. So Jess, our hero in this story, was scared and trembling. A martial artist She was no stranger to self-defense or to fighting for that matter. So what does she do? She takes a deep breath. She marches right up to this guy who's holding the baby and she says, give her back the baby. Remember what I said about being ready to get blowback? Well, the guy laughed at her and said, what are you going to try to make me? Jess is not huge. She's not a tall person and... I don't know. The guy probably thought, like, who are you? Anyway, that's what he said. What, are you going to try to make me? So she kind of expected that. She takes another deep breath, and she just stands there, and she repeats, give her back the baby. Give her back the baby. Give her back the baby. The guy looks confused and ultimately hands her back—hands her, Jess— Baby. Jess is an excellent storyteller, and I'm not sure I did her story justice, but you get the idea. By the way, Jess is still out there teaching empowerment self defense, and you can find her in our Facebook group, The Empowerment Project. She's in there. Um, You can ask her about some of her other stories or ask her about this story. And I hope to have her here on this podcast sometime so we can hear more stories. I want to talk with you about de-escalation as a strategy. It is a verbal strategy, but it's way more than just a verbal strategy, although the verbal piece is an important component of it. I recently went through a training in de-escalation. I think we're going to need to have a whole podcast on this strategy because there are so many different parts to it. But the basic idea is that you're confronted with someone whose energy is escalated, intense, maybe angry, maybe volatile. It feels out of control. It feels scary and threatening. Often your best bet, like any good self-defense, is just to get away. But there might be some times when it's less threatening, it's kind of on the lower end of the threatening scale, and you decide the situation calls for you to talk them down Or maybe you can't get away and de-escalation is your best bet. Maybe you're in a professional setting dealing with a really pissed customer. De-escalation is amazing as a strategy. Anyway, it's a way of listening and holding space until you can get this person to calm down. All the while... By the way, if you need to, you're buying time and looking for a way to get away if that feels like ultimately your best strategy. So let's suffice it to say that I will have somebody on this podcast. We'll have a really nice interview with someone who is a professional de-escalator, and that will be great. Let's talk about humor. Cracking jokes or finding humor, making light of a situation which is somewhere on the lower end of the continuum of sexual assault and violence can work. And it sometimes doesn't work, or it can be a great option because it buys you time, but sometimes it actually doesn't make you safer. So it's one of these ones I want to mention. but. I've experienced and heard plenty of times when a little laughter can lighten things up just enough that I've been able to get away or as other people tell me they've been able to get away or it provides an opening for a good dose of boundary setting, which is maybe what the situation calls for. So just know that humor is a strategy. And if you're a funny person already, then this is something that you could feel comfortable with. This is about being authentic. If you're, like, trying to make yourself funny, it's probably not the right tool. But if something just kind of rolls off the tongue, it might buy you some time. Another self-defense strategy is lying. Just BSing. Lying Is always an option. If I'm in a situation where I'm feeling unsafe in my own home, I can say, for example, my roommate's on their way home. My dad is waiting for me. Or if I'm out and about, I can say, hey, I'm with those people over there. Or "Uh, no, I just had lunch. I'm not hungry. Whatever the situation calls for, a lie can really work. It's a tad tricky because you want to make sure it's realistic. And also, if you're going to see this person again, they might find out you lied, which might or might not be okay. You might not care, especially in the moment. If it's for you to stay safe, it it doesn't matter. Who cares? Let them Let them find out it was a lie. Who cares? It just depends. And you're the only person that can make the call. I'm going to tell you an excellent story, which illustrates this point and how... Well, it can work. This story takes place in a very remote part of Alaska. Our hero is home alone, miles away from any other home. Their spouse is out of town for a few weeks, and their spouse's best friend comes over out of the blue, quote, just to make sure everything's okay. But the situation quickly escalates and turns into an attempted rape. Our hero is being forced onto the ground, and thinking quickly says, Hey, slow down. What makes you think I don't want this, that it has to be this way? I'm actually really into you. I want this, but I'd feel better about it if I could just take a quick shower. You don't mind, do you? Surprised but pleased, the assailant lets go, and our hero hops up with a big smile goes into the bedroom, locks the door, and calls the nearest neighbor who comes over right away to help. This is a lie. This is crafty. This is an example of what a lie can look like. Here's another one. A college student parks their car a ways away from their dorm. As they step out of the car, they find a gun pointed at them with an assailant who says, give me all your money. Thinking fast, Our hero says, hey, I don't have my money with me right now, but I just went to the bank earlier today, and my money is in my drawer in my dorm room. I'll go get it for you if you just wait for me right here. And the attacker says, okay. And, of course, they run into the dorm, they lock the door, and they call for help. I love this story. Both these examples illustrate how quick thinking and lying— Can get you the time you need to escape. Any verbal self defense class is not complete without talking about commands. A verbal command is, besides the word no, one of the most simple, versatile verbal self defense strategies. Period. Stop. Go away. Leave me alone. You pick a phrase and you practice saying it with gumption. Then, when and if you need it, you've got it close at hand. Pick a couple. Practice. Repeat. Here are some go-to rote phrases that you can keep in your toolkit. Stop. No. Leave me alone. Back up. I don't want to hear it. This doesn't feel good. I changed my mind. I don't like this. When I work with kids, I always give them these two. I don't have to. You can't make me. Practice. Practice these phrases. Think about them. Write them down. Practice them in the shower. Practice them when, you know, just in your head. I really want you to practice. I really do. If you can get away on your own someplace and just say these phrases out loud over and over again, do it. If you can't say them out loud, just because maybe you don't have privacy or space, you can whisper them with intention and feeling. I want these to be easy for you to grab out of your toolkit. I want them to be easy to access with not a lot of thought. These are tried and true and can cover almost any situation. And again, you can play with volume, tone, like all the things we talked about In the last episode, you could say any of these phrases or words in a lot of different ways, depending on where the situation falls on the continuum of sexual assault and violence. Let's talk about planning and preparation. If you know you're going into a situation, practice with friends beforehand. Write the words down. Memorize them. Role play with your friends. Say them in your office, in your car, in the shower, while you're on a walk. Be prepared with the words. If you have a tough situation coming up, a tough phone call, think about it. Have your response ready. Memorize parts of it, and then you can go into it. Like I have three main points in my head. I want to remember to say this, this, and this. But make it really simple, but practice whatever it takes. Verbal self-defense takes practice. It takes practice. It takes repetition. It takes role-playing and support from people who love you. But as with most things, with practice, it gets easier and easier and easier till it becomes second nature. And this is what I want for you. I want a verbal self-defense arsenal in your toolkit. By the way, you're going to practice scenarios in your empowerment self-defense class. But meanwhile, between now and when you can get to a class, get to work. This is really life-changing stuff. As with all of the tools in our toolkit, if one of your verbal strategies isn't working, you'll probably get that feedback fairly quickly and you can pivot and try something else. And just to remember that verbal self-defense, while being one of the most important tools in our toolkit, works best when you know on a very deep level, when you have experienced how powerful you are, and you know that you can back your words up with what you have in your back pocket, which is your physical strategies for fighting, which is simple powerful, effective, striking. And when you know you can do that, when you know you can take someone out if you have to, your words convey that strength. And this is what makes you less selectable. This is what makes you safer. And this is your empowerment. It's time to tell you the end of my story. As you will recall, there I am feeling really brave. I'm asking for a raise so that I can quit a few of my other jobs and maybe even think about saving some money or having a family one day. And I'm really proud of myself because my voice isn't shaking even though inside I'm dying. At that moment, by the way, just so you know what's going on in my head, And why I've allowed myself to agree to this unhealthy work situation, I'm thinking, I'm believing that I really don't deserve a raise. Not because I was asking for too much, because I was only asking to be paid minimum wage. Not because of my work ethic. I was a workaholic and often worked not just through the work week, but on the weekends as well, knowing. I was not to put any of those hours on my timesheet. I didn't think I was unworthy of a raise because I didn't do a good job because I prided myself on being the best that I could be. And there was a reason why I was the one they asked to do more projects to add extra hours to my workload. I got things done, not because the work I did wasn't important. I felt it was super important and that I was helping change the world And make it a better place. No, I felt that I didn't really deserve a raise because deep inside, I was kind of broken. I believed deep down that I was unlovable, was not valuable, was not good enough, was unworthy. And because of that, I allowed myself to be used. And yes, I'd even say abused. So I did it. I asked for a raise. My boss and her henchmen first looked mm, surprised, and I remember this clear as day. Then they looked taken aback, and then offended, and then pissed, and they said, no way, you need to consider very carefully what you're asking. And so even though I was shaking inside, I took a deep breath, and I asked again, I asked to be paid minimum wage. And my boss said, well, you're not getting it, so I guess you need to quit. So I did. And that was that. You might wonder how I can call this a success story when I ended up not getting what I wanted, but I think you can figure it out. I didn't get what I thought I wanted, but I did get exactly what I needed. And in this case, what I got was my life back, my self-confidence back my self-esteem, and my joy back. That place was so bad for me. It was so toxic and dysfunctional. There were zillions of reasons why I should have left many years earlier but didn't. One day I'll tell you my story and how this piece of it fits in, but that will be for another day. Uh, For now, let's just say that this was the end of that era in my life and the moment when I really started to see how I let people use me and hurt me. I stepped up to the plate, and even though I was scared, even though I didn't really believe yet that I deserved it, I knew it was the right thing to do. So I asked for what I wanted, and I got the information that I needed to turn my life around, or at least to begin that process of turning my life around. This empowerment stuff, this is deep. I'm a living, breathing example of a person who has slowly and sometimes painfully evolved. From the beginnings of feeling insignificant and unworthy, I've grown into a human being who feels deeply that I belong and that I'm good, that I'm worthy of respect and consideration. I believe that I'm worth protecting, just like I believe all those things about you. As humans, we're neither less than nor greater than anybody else. This is my belief. No matter what we look like, no matter how much money we make, how much education we have or how little, no matter how young or old, no matter where we live, no matter what country we're from, no matter who we choose to love— no matter what religion we call ourselves part of or whether we don't, no matter what, we're human beings worthy of respect, worthy of protection. This is empowerment. When I see people being subservient, it drives me nuts. You do not need to bow down before any other human being. No one is better than or less than you. For today, let's close with this. You are worth protecting, and I'm so glad you're here with me today. Thank you for listening all the way through. I hope you always have the words that you want, that you need, and that your voice is loud and clear, and that you use it to sing out the deepest parts of your soul, because you, my dear friend, are an incredible human being. See you next time. It's affirmation time. This is how I end every self-defense class. It's kind of cheesy, but it's very cool, and this is how it works. We're going to do like a little call and response. If you can say this out loud, if you can repeat after me, do it, because it's important, I think, for you to hear your own voice. But if you can't, like if you're on a crowded subway or someplace where It's embarrassing. Don't worry. You can also just say it inside your head. Okay? So I'm going to say something, and you're going to repeat it after me. I'm going to give you space to do that. And at the end, we're going to say, yes. Here we go. Repeat after me. I am worth protecting. I love myself. I belong. I deserve to take up space on planet Earth. I am a strong and powerful person. Yes! Woohoo! And hey, as a wrap up, will you do me a favor? Will you? Do all the things that you do when there's a podcast, like, will you tell your friends? Will you subscribe? Will you come back each week? Communicate with me. Review this podcast, like all those things to help get more bandwidth, help more people find out about it. That would be super awesome. Take a deep breath. You are amazing. Thank you for being with me. See you next time.